This is the Changing the Game podcast, where we share with you the stories of those who are changing the games for themselves, for their communities, and for the industries where they work, through education, diversity, and innovation. Join us in every episode as we take a deep dive into the fascinating journeys of those ordinary people who are doing the extraordinary, from visionaries to operators and everything in between. Changing the Game is proudly powered by Vichy Ventures, the venture partners of our corporate clients, VCs and CVCs, connecting industry to innovation ecosystems. Together, we will nurture 1 billion seeds. Get ready to be inspired. Hello, everyone. We're here today for another episode of Changing the Game. Today, I have Luke Callier. So our guest that we get to know uh, so more about him. Uh, Luke, what we normally do is instead of doing uh, reading a bio or something like yeah, that, we normally yeah. ask the question. Tell us a little bit about you, you know, your journey. Yeah, so um, I'm an engineer originally. Uh, kind of uh, got into project management for a while and then got into education uh, probably in my late 20s um, and uh, went back and did an MBA. Kind of have always uh, had this kind of little bent for entrepreneurship kind of on the side. So I've had a number of kind of uh, side ventures as I've been working. Um, but my full-time job is at St. Hilda's Anglican School for Girls. Um, and my role there is the Director of Discovery where I oversee the entrepreneurship um, program that we call ESTEAM, which is uh, entrepreneurship through a lens of sustainability, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. So that's the day job. And then on the side, I actually, as we were just talking about, host my own podcast as well um, through a podcast called Ed Leaders. So, wow, that's, that's cool. That's a nice introduction. So I, 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 I can say this, I'm kind of envy your job, but then I don't know exactly what you do. Uh, but I'll tell you a story. So uh, I'm an engineer as well. And doing engineering, so myself and I'm, you know, as a best friend doing school, this best friend, by the way, we, we met at year five and we, we graduated school together, university together. But we used to do, it was a little bit more than, uh, than uh, tutoring. We used to do classes to help people to do the ATI exams and et cetera. And our, passion was to teach. So unfortunately, I'm from Brazil, so unfortunately, teaching or education doesn't seem like a career you choose. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, so you're an engineer doing project management, how mm. that decision to go into education was? Yeah, I guess um, even when I was doing engineering at university and even my first couple of years out, I was always doing coaching. So I'd coach basketball and I'd coach a couple of other sports. Mm. Um, at schools um, and even while I was you know in amongst working as a project management engineer I did a kids camp in the US and worked as a sports kind of coach at a kids camp um, for a three-month break from my day job um, and so I kind of probably at 27 or 28 was reflecting on like what am I doing in my life you know like this is not what I want to be I'm in my booth here you know like it's yeah. you know not kind of interacting with people the way I'd like um, and so I probably at that point was just like, I remember having this conversation with someone at my, at my school saying, oh, I think I want to be a PE teacher. And that PE teacher kind of turning around going, oh, you're way too smart for that. You know, like, don't waste your time with, you know, teaching. And, you know, it always probably stuck with me as like, well, 
why didn't I just do what I wanted to do? Why was I doing something that maybe other people thought I should have been doing because of like I was good in maths and sciences? Um, And so at that point, I kind of went back and did some study and then ended up moving over to Perth um, for a job at at PLC um, as a head of sport. So that's kind of like how I transitioned into education. Um, And then my roles have just kind of evolved as my skills have evolved. So... Interesting. Yeah. Are you originally from Australia? I'm from Adelaide originally, yeah. uh, but have lived kind of all over the place. Lived overseas for a couple of years. Lived in Brisbane and Sydney as well. So well travelled. Moved over here 15 years ago. Now married a Perth, a Perth nice. girl. So I'm trapped here now. Very nice. Good. Well, it's not a good. It's not a bad place to ah, be trapped. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So uh, it was interesting when we were, you know, doing the podcast. We think about who's gonna. You know, we're gonna invite to be a guest and etc. And and when w- your name come up, so it, uh, the motivation to create change in the game in the first place was into the subjects like innovation, education, and diversity. Right? Was it kind of you entice uh, all the three of them? That was uh, exciting to. Oh no, we need to get to know him a little bit more. So can you can you tell us more uh, about what you're doing in St Hilda in that sort of I, I I reckon it's a different job at school. So what what is what is that that you're trying to do there? Yeah, so I guess my role at the school is really around probably strategic projects, um, and as we evolve as a school in you know many different ways, you know my role is to kind of oversee those as as they roll out. But I guess more importantly, when it comes to kind of innovation, entrepreneurship, you know, when it comes to the kids, um, our principal is really strong on wanting to, you know, change the game when it comes to females in entrepreneurship and empowering young girls to change their world if they choose. Um, And so as part of that, a strategic project or initiative was created to, um, to shift that dial, you know, like there's stats, you know, around, I think last year, I think, I think the stat is that 2% of VCs that were funding were that were funded were only two percent were female led, um, and so with stats like that, our principal is very strong on wanting to change that narrative. Yeah, and so our program is really a, a full breadth year five to ten program where students are learning entrepreneurship and innovative skills that can be leading to possible outcomes in entrepreneurship, but more probably more importantly, the entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah, you know, yeah. How do you yep. see problems, define problems? Yep. How do you stay in that problem to kind of think about all the different solutions that might be possible? Um, and then have those kind of skills and that knowledge to be able to go, okay, even if I'm working inside a company or it's my own company, how might I pitch that to kind of influence and change and shift people's ideas? Um, so the program's probably evolving around students and how do we create students that can, can be the change they might want to see um, which sits outside of some of the traditional silos of traditional subjects um, in schools. So I guess twofold. One is my role is to bring in innovative projects into the school and, and, and an outward view with relationships and partnerships with external bodies, like Mesh Points is one of those, yep. um, and, and seeing what other tertiary institutions are doing in schools, and then, but also to create that next generation of people who can also do that. Very good. So uh, this thing about uh, innovation, entrepreneurship, or companies founded by uh, female entrepreneurs, or or, v- or venture capital being deployed, so it's a subject that we we have been around it, right? So 
Uh, I'm an angel investor myself, so we talk about about that a lot. And at Puff Angels, as as an angel investor syndicate, we're proud of the fact that a significant part of our portfolio have female uh, founders. But we don't do that by design, so it's kind of a little bit of a coincidence, and we always stop to reflect on that. So, but when you look at the industry as a whole, yes, that's you know it's short. I even heard something in Silicon Valley about a female factor, where female founder factor when you when females female founders are pitching for money, uh, and I was quite shocked by that. The the the, the VCs actually pay less. The intention is, I feel okay, we can get this cheaper. Mm-hmm. So, which really blows your mind, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. So, anyway, it comes back to the, you know, the pay gap and etc. Mm-hmm. Same sort of mentality, pr- probably. So, anyway, so awesome, awesome, awesome that you're doing that program. So, uh, I think later, you know, now or later, we would end up talking about idea, idea academy, right? So. Uh, we both know, so uh, our our listeners uh, also know because uh, Rebecca and Nicole uh, have been here yep. talking with us. Yep. So <clears throat> one of the teases that they do have, by the way, female entrepreneurs, education, yeah. you know, innovation, of, all the boxes, mm, yeah. like awesome. Yeah. So uh, one of the teases that are the traditional curriculum. Uh, or a structure in the education system, arguably left some left, leave some some of the kids behind, you know, or or, dis, or disengaged, right? Uh, before before maybe we do talk a little bit of, about what we think about idea. So, how are you seeing that in St Hilda? So you seeing that kids, uh, in the case of St Hilda, the girls, so. Some of these girls were not necessarily super engaged, and the programs have been fulfilling that space. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, when you start talking about these types of programs. Uh, one thing I'd say is that not every student is going to be engaged in every program. It's like me saying I am going to go home and watch squash on the TV. Well, it's not really going to interest me that much because I like basketball and footy. Yeah. Um, and so I think when it comes to um, you know, education and particularly, you know, the, the standard Australian curriculum, not everything is going to be of interest to every student. Um, but I think when it comes down to, you know, a program like Esteem where, that we're running uh, at St Hilda's, you can create an experience that attracts more people because it's broader. You know, you work in a team, you look at, you have different skill sets in that team. Mm. Um, you know, m- many traditional subjects are siloed with individual work, individual assessments. Um, so I think there's broader ways to engage students. Um, and if you create experiences that are meaningful and authentic, then students will will be engaged in it. They want to be engaged. It's mm. just that sometimes they can't see how this is ever going to be relevant to their life. Mm. But if you make it a, a, an experience um, where it's actually relevant, you know, in our year 10 program, we've negotiated with our parents and friends group that they donate 5,000 to each of our year 10 cohorts, the winning pitch. So, and those programs are all designed about how can we change something um, in our school? Like what would we like to see a change in our school? And so instead of just going through the motions of 
well, anyone can kind of think about problems in the school and yell the pitches thing and it never happens. Actually, what we're doing is trying to say, like, there's a buy-in here. Like, mm. there's a real reality mm. that someone's going to win and yeah. someone's going to get some money to actually make that happen. Yeah. And so there's an authentic experience that kind of connects them yeah. to the real world of, like, you pitch something, you can actually make some change happen. Yeah. Uh, and so I think if you create the engaging experience yeah. where students are going to buy in, you'll get more engagement by default. Not all subjects have that flexibility and ability to deliver that type of curriculum. But I think, you know, going back to your point about the Idea Academy, you know, that they have, um, you know, an interesting way of being able to allow more of that because of the flexibility they have. Um, and I also think more broadly about education that, if, you know, and I, and I share this vision with, with uh, Nicole and Rebecca, is that if you look 10 to 20 years down the track, there'll be more niche players in education and there'll be more people, I, we offer this, we offer that, we offer something else. Mm. And, and parents will have more, a lot more choice when it comes to what suits my child. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. And it'll be more portable, potentially. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't mention quickly before we started that, uh, you know, as you talk about San Hill, the Anglican, Anglican uh, school for girls. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so our our kids attend Ohio, which is Anglican uh, school yep. for boys. Uh, and I reckon that uh, we're absolutely privileged because, you know, in these schools, we can have this variety of uh, extracurricular, sometimes curricular sort of uh, initiatives that... Yep. Uh, that present to the girls and the boys uh, the options, the opportunities, right? They can yeah. choose. So I, I do dream about this sort of, uh, you know, this these sort of privilege to be more democratized, I guess. So eventually that's maybe a space that idea can fulfill as well. So, you know, it's still a place of privilege, but maybe uh, it helps democratize a little bit more. Yeah, I think we see at St. Hilda's our role in that is to help um, shift the narrative on what we're doing. So to be thought leaders and to provide the opportunity for other people to come in and see what we're doing in this space. No. Um, you, know, you mentioned earlier, but we ran a, what we called the e-summit a couple of weeks ago, mm. um, you know, where it was about um, bringing entrepreneurship educators together. And that's probably the first time, one of the first times that entrepreneur educators have been together in the same room. But we see a role for us in you know, bringing those teachers from any part of the state together to actually upskill and go on that journey together. Yeah. Um, and as part of that, we had a bunch of, you know, tickets that were available at no cost. So those schools who have a, a, a tighter budget yeah. can attend at no cost. Um, yes. So I think there is an element of we need to be able to make sure that we're kind of giving to the rest of the education system as well. Very nice. Um, to there was, there was the quality. East Summit. Yeah. So uh, what is this? It happen every year? What's the plan, is that? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, so bringing... For uh, entrepreneurial... Educators. Entrepreneurship educators. Yeah, and, and, and this one was really around connecting. I, I think some of the feedback I've heard from other educators is that, yes, we do it in our own little sphere. Yes, I teach year nine entrepreneurship for one semester yeah. as an elective, but I don't really understand who all the other players are in the ecosystem, who's Space Cubed, who's Mesh Point, yeah. what a curtain do, who, who's the entrepreneurship manager at Bloom, you know, all of the aspects of the ecosystem that you and I know because yeah, we're kind yeah. of embedded in it, yeah. but most educators sitting in a school, you know, 55 minutes from the city are just trying to get through their curriculum and they're not really that understanding of 
what's the bigger game here and who can I call to kind of get them to help me? Like I think you mentioned earlier that, you know, mm. if they hail call and they want, they want some judges, then they can call you because they know you're connected That's to good, the ecosystem. Yeah. But this was really about how do we broaden their knowledge of the startup you know, an entrepreneurship community more broadly yeah. for educators to be able to tap into. Yeah. So it's interesting what you just said. Sometimes sometimes we become, we become a little bit blind because of the universe we know. So what you mentioned now is in, in, the, in the universe of uh, educators of entrepreneurship, there's some people that just don't know that these exist, that exist, that exist. One thing that I notice is that uh, uh, talking with some of the entrepreneurs, so and and we think that you know there's a cutting accelerator or in space cube environments plus eight accelerator but you talk to some entrepreneurs sometimes talk about accelerator and they don't know that that exists yep. so it's almost like i become blind for that because it's so part of what i see every day that i think everybody yep. knows it and it's that definitely not the reality so cool but i think just to add to yeah. that point you know, going back to to the girls at St Hilda's, I think there's an element of you can't be what you can't see. Absolutely. And so if if there's only so few female-led entrepreneurs, well, how can we shine the light, you Absolutely. know, so that we that they know that, I, like in four years' time or eight years' time when I've graduated and I've been in a job, I remember when I did that entrepreneurship course at school in Steam, they told me that there were these programs I could do. Mm. And then they go, but then eight years later, they go and look for them. Yeah. Um, but... You know, too often in a school like ours, it's like, oh, I know what medicine is and I know what you know, dentistry is and I know what a lawyer does. Um, and so there's a fixed view on the trajectory of what our best students the should be doing. Yeah. Whereas I would look at that and go, wouldn't it be great if our best students actually thought about starting their own solution to a problem rather than just working for someone else in a, in a, in a bigger system where they may have little ability to actually shift the narrative uh, for, for society more broadly. So you, uh, you know, talking about this with you, so it's very, very clear uh, the passion coming out of you. So, you know, isn't it, it doesn't seem like a job, seems like, you know, what do you, what do you love? So uh, you did mention that you do have a podcast as well. So what, what is it? Tell us about it. Yeah, so I, I guess I'd like to, to, and I was reminded of this recently, I live two lives. I live the life of an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur. So it's kind of like the entrepreneur in me loves doing this stuff within a school uh, or within the work environment, but the entrepreneur in me loves kind of the ability to create my own things in my own time outside of my day-to-day -day job. So, you know, I'm one of these kind of, I'm like the 5 a.m. club guy. Uh, I'm, I love kind of the self-help genre of, of books. So, um, you know, I'm up at five and I, and I have a podcast where about... 50,000 downloads in, 80 episodes. And part of that is, you know, that brick by brick nature of building something from scratch. Um, I'm, I've never been the techie guy. Like I wish I could code, but mm. I'm not that guy. So how do you build a company or an organization when you're working full time? Um, you know, and it's brick by brick. It's episode by episode. It's something that I can do. I can mix. I can edit the episodes myself. I can find the people to be on there. And bit by bit, that's grown. Um, and now we get invited, you know, we've been invited to the East Coast for a couple of conferences. We do live podcasts. We've created masterminds that have come out of it. Next year, we'll do some case study clubs, um, you know, that will come from it as well. Um, and so for me, it's kind of eventually my goal is that maybe that will grow out to be a, a full-time thing. But, you know, at the same time, 
I have the day job and I do love what I do there as well. Um, so it's a nice balance for me of getting that right when it comes to entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. And I think it really allows you to talk the talk and walk the walk with your students. Like when they say, oh, how, how, how would I do this? I'm like, actually, you could just go and create a Wix website. You don't even have to pay. You could just publish it. If someone goes to it, you can easily share that as a URL. You don't necessarily need to outlay thousands of dollars on a website, just as a small example of walking, Very nice. the, walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah. Very nice. There are two two interesting things in, in what you just said that uh, caught my attention. One is you using the words uh, entrepreneur and entrepreneur. My own experiences and my own career experiences are craziness thing of uh, startups and corporate jobs, startups and corporate jobs, and etc. I'm kind of familiar with that sort of concept of entrepreneur. So always that, you know, odd person that won't change everything in the organization and then causing problems to the executives that have to listen to that sort of thing. I'm very privileged to be a, a bit smart and then causing more problem because of that. So uh, that's very good. So people that work in a company, so that's, uh, that's uh, you know, uh, something to, to explore. So you can work in an organization that are a little bit more uh, so operation, a little bit less innovative, but, you know, there is always space for the entrepreneur uh, to change things inside the company and maybe cause different impacts that, you know. So that's awesome. So uh, the other thing that you mentioned as well is that you have these, uh, these personas of, uh, you know, the, the, the employee of the school and these entrepreneur that's, uh, you know, trying to do this or that. What I would like to pick up on that is because you mentioned, well, this is the way uh, the podcast and the media and etc. is the way that I found that I can create something and produce and etc. Uh, but you mentioned that I couldn't code or I'm not the tech person. So, uh, and what do you think? Because the tools that we have available today with all these uh, non-coding things and particularly because you you know teaching entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and and you're gonna find this question mm -hmm. you know coming from the kids for sure so you have no coding and as a so development soft mm -hmm. software to develop no coding uh you have the the craziness of gener generative ai and and, mm -hmm. and gpts and you know all that you can build just you know uh, learning how to do uh, prompt engineering, right? So mm -hmm. to do the prompting yep. properly. So is this affecting you have what you have seen around you with the entrepreneurs? Uh, in terms of no code, definitely. Like I've, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because probably in the last four or five months, I've actually been down the rabbit hole of trying to teach myself some of the no code tools. And, you know, playing with things like Zapier and the back end of different, you know, yeah, tech stacks um, to try and understand. Okay, well. You know, if I wanted to create something that did X, Y, Z without actually being able to code that up, and I think AI is a perfect example of how do you create a prompt in the back end so that it looks like it does something pretty amazing at the front end, but you know uses a bunch of information, treats it a certain way, and then spits something out, which is pretty cool. Um, and so I think you know the, the ability for students to be able to do more and more themselves without having to be necessarily tech enabled or tech background or coders themselves I think is going to be a game changer but I think if you're if you're truly wanting to create a game-changing tech platform you still need a back like you still need back-end understanding of 
you know, how a database and how a system is going to stand up because if you're, if you're playing on other people's platforms, it's probably just my own opinion here, but if you're playing on other people's platforms and those, and then you try and start selling products based on those platforms, then there's the potential that if that platform goes away, what happens to your product? So for me, it's about the way I was using it was more about how you create the test platform and the, the MVP, uh, if you will, to kind of go, well, would someone pay for this product? Yes, great. And then I can build out a proper product underneath it. Absolutely. So uh, any in different terms, yes, there is all these no codes and these you know, applications that help you to build without, uh, at the end of the day, to build a proper tech solution. So you do need a tech architecture and et cetera. Uh, one, uh, one of the things with uh, GPT that was uh, uh, just having a chat and exchanging with someone else the other day is that these days, so you can, I agree with you, so you need to have someone in your group that have the technical knowledge sort of thing, but you can have a conversation and making that conversation, you know, what do you want out of that conversation be, uh, become a code. Yep. done by the machine so you still need to look at it this, yep. you know but uh, I would say that those tools are, are better for who cannot code uh, there's people that don't have the technical background cannot code so can potentially use those tools yep. but those tools are even better for who can code yep. and use those tools to multiply right yeah I think the same thing is the same for entrepreneurs though like uh, you know I use AI all the time to generate a bunch of things for me, which I would have been able to do, but it would have taken me 10 times longer. And so now I'm 10 times more effective with the time that I have, which is essentially an hour up to an hour and a half in the, in the morning at 5 a.m. because I've got those tools to make me 10x better, the same as the, the, the engineer yeah. would be able to make themselves probably 10x better yeah. by having those tools in their hand. Yeah. So uh, tell me one thing. So you, uh, you've been in Perth for a while now. You love the place, as you mentioned before. So one of the things in this, in, in our ecosystem that I, I usually find myself having conversations with people about is Perth and Western Australia ecosystem uh, in comparison of versus of what happens elsewhere. So nationally, you think about the East Coast and, you know, Sydney uh, and, and then you go global, right? So and Silicon Valley and, and other ecosystems. So every time that we talk about this, the thesis is that it's not too hard for people that want to do this to take a flight and go elsewhere, right? So do you have a view of uh, what is it that we might have that is passion or, or what we may have that's a reason for people to develop their uh, ventures here yeah. locally? Um, I th for me, there's probably one clear answer to that, which is we're in the same time zone as what, what, what's the stat, like 20% of the world's population. Yeah. Um, and so, and we're probably the only English first speaking capital city in that time zone. Um, so why not? Yeah. But I think the challenge for us as Australians is that we think about our market uh, and even you know, in education, it's, it's even narrower. You think about, students think about their world, which is usually only six suburbs long. Um, and so 
you know, I think because we're isolated, sometimes we we don't make the weekend trip. Like, you know, as an example, living in Adelaide growing up, we would do four or five weekend trips to Melbourne a year, you know, for different reasons, for sporting carnivals or yep, whatnot. Yep. Whereas it's a bit harder to do that from yep. here. Um, and so I think where we struggle is having that, firstly, a national perspective, but a global perspective of, okay, well, Indonesia's on our doorstep, it's in our time zone, and yet their population, you know, is 10x, 10x. Australia's. Yeah. Um, and think about the market opportunities there. But we rarely even go and host a conference up there. We'll rather go and host a conference in Sydney and, you know, in, in Brisbane. Yeah. But why wouldn't we go up to Indonesia or, or even Singapore to host a, yeah. host a conference or go to conferences because they're, they're just as good. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's probably what holds us back. But I think the benefit of, you know, what we're trying to create in our next generation of students is those that are globally minded and will look at that and go, oh, why wouldn't I think about that entire market rather than just a, a market of Perth of, you know, a couple of million. Um, very good. So uh, are you into ed tech? I am. I follow a little bit of ed tech. I, um, I obviously, my, one of my previous roles at Wesley was director of digital services. Uh, so I, um, I'm pretty close to the ed tech scene. Obviously, I know Dan from Paperly quite well here in Perth. Um, and so, and I, you know, I've actually had some sponsorship from some of the ed tech companies on the East Coast. So know a little bit around the ed tech space as well. One of the things about this sort of conversation is that when the conversation is this good, the time goes like I that. I can just see us getting the cutoff signs. <laughs> I can't cut that answer, sure. <laughs> So, I could talk about EdTech all day, but uh, yeah, we'll, no. we'll save that for another time. We may need to change our podcast and become 60 minutes like <laughs> yours. So uh, we definitely would be here 60 minutes yeah. talking about. So uh, look, it's a tremendous privilege. So uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, one of the one of our motivations for, for doing this uh, is in the space that you work and your passion as well. So we talk about education, talk about innovation, talk about diversity as well. So uh, I love to have you here. So I'm sure the people listening to our show will love that. So we will potentially need to have another one. So but anyway, so thank you for coming and accepting to be our guest. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. It's been, yeah. a, been a great pleasure. Here we go, everyone. This is another episode of Changing the Game. So we'll see you soon with another one. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Changing the Game. We hope you enjoy learning about the unique journey of today's guests and the valuable insights they share on education, diversity and innovation. Remember to keep following your passions and never be afraid to think differently and challenging the status quo. Don't forget to subscribe to our show and follow us on social media for more inspiring stories and valuable information on corporate innovation and innovation ecosystem. Special thanks to our partners, Vichy Ventures and Visagio for making this podcast possible. Thanks for listening.